So today, uh, we, we have to do uh, one of our uh, federally mandated shows on Trump. Uh, and, and, and it's as good as reason as any, because I think it was Saturday was the uh, anniversary of his inauguration. And, you know, there's been a lot of um, postmortems for his first year, if you'll pardon the expression, and all the magazines have done their coverage and all the, um, you know, sort of the punditry and so forth. And, you know, I, I have to say that, you know, just to cut to the chase, that I, I kind of agree with the consensus of what I hear out there, you know, to the degree that I can put it together. And to just use sort of a basic uh, integral frame, uh, I, I think I would agree that uh, Donald Trump has been in the exteriors, that is, in terms of actual actions and policies, uh, fairly conventional in terms of what you would expect from a conservative who would to get into office. So we have the tax cuts, deregulation, conservative judges, uh, hotter rules of engagement in war. Um, there's a certain animal spirit that's released among the business people when that happens. And that's all been pretty much what you would expect and pretty much on schedule. The critique uh, of Trump's sort of centers on what he's doing in the interiors. That is, in the, to use integral speak, the lower left quadrant of reality, the uh, interior of the collective, which is our culture. You know, what's he done to the culture and the discourse of our culture? And also <laughs> what he's doing in the upper left, what he's doing to our minds, people, uh, making us crazy. And, uh, you know, I have to say that uh, at this point, I can't watch the Trump show. I, I certainly can't watch it all day. I, I used to watch news through the day pretty much all the time. And um, it's just, um, you know, uh, even like Morning Joe, which I uh, have always held as, you know, Joe Scarborough as being kind of an integral uh, paragon. And, and I think he is in a way. But I also think he's running for president. I think he's going to challenge Trump. And I think he said something not long ago that he, he, he thought that there was, for the first time in his life, he thought there was a path for an independent. And he's cut his ties with the Republicans. And I think he's doing that, uh, which I think is good politics. I would support him, but I think it's bad TV because he's really become just a base beater for, um, you know, in, MS, in, in the typical MSNBC mold which is fine and great, and I basically agree with it in sort of the, the fundamental substance, but it's boring to hear it over and over. Anyway, you know, even the consensus on Fox News, and I was watching a lot of the, you know, Trump's first year um, shows on there, and they're all, they're all good with the exteriors, you know, the stock market, the tax cuts, unemployment, median wages, ISIS is defeated, you know, all of the conservative judges and so forth. But there was a consensus there, too, that as one of the uh, pundits said, and I can't remember which one it was, but he said if he stopped tweeting, his numbers would go up 20%. And I think there might be some truth to that. That's certainly a critique, uh, even on Fox and Friends, that you hear, that we wish he'd stop pissing people off unnecessarily and getting in his own way and so forth. So why is he doing that? And um, my thesis is that it's because in very important lines of development, in terms of Donald Trump's own self-sense, 
his moral line of development, his interpersonal line of development, um, that these are all located in a probability cloud. You know, they're fundamentally or largely located in red, which is an egocentric stage of development. And I've made this case for the last couple, since he came on the scene and in past podcasts and so, so I won't necessarily go into all of it. But, you know, it, it is a, um, it's a unique place uh, in, in American politics. And, um, and what you realize uh, when you're dealing with red is that it's like I say, the one thing Donald Trump likes more than winning is fighting. He just likes to fight. And win or lose, that's the imperative at red. I mean, it, red, red is the power meme. Red is the part of us that comes online when we're in our terrible twos and threes. And it sort of uh, expands again in our early teens when, you know, the world is all about us. And, uh, you know, we careen from thing to thing. There's not a lot of delaying of gratification. There's not a lot of thinking things through. There's not a lot of planning. Uh, uh, there's not a lot of impulse control. And that is, and some people get in important lines of development arrested there. And that is Trump. Uh, we also have that stage of development in history, which is the pre-traditional stage. And, and I'll get to a, a couple more ideas about that in, in a second, but I just want to lay out uh, the integral map a little bit so that we can see how Trump is fitting in to the political landscape. And um, my theme on the Daily Evolver has been that we are in, and, and I don't think it's particularly unique, I, I think my interpretation of it is, and, and Integral's interpretation of it is, but the idea that we're in an ever more polarizing culture is, you know, obvious in terms of how we feel about each other and, you know, how we sort of are, are, are organized around our, our, where we live and, and just the partisanship and the gridlock and all of that stuff. And, you know, my argument is that polarization is a stage of development. It's like Walt Whitman said, out of the dimness, opposite equals advance. And what polarity's job is, is to define, is to um, uh, 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 differentiate uh, one from the other so that we can exp basically expand the field of our world space. And then at some point there is a, you know, a war or a fight. In this case, it's a culture war because we're modern enough that we realize that fighting doesn't work. And so we're in a culture war, and the next stage, if all is, goes according to plan, my plan, uh, the next stage is a new integration, which takes the best of both of those, conservative and liberal, and integrates them into a new whole that is new in the cosmos, which has never been there before, and that it transcends both of the component parts and includes the best of them. And so, you know, that's sort of what we are working with. And typically, we have had our leaders um, have been on one side or the other of this. We talk about the traditional, which is nation-centric, 
uh, religious, socially conservative, and so forth. That's amber stage of development. We talk about the modern stage of development, which is secular. Um, it's world-centric in the exteriors. That is, modern people get the world. They get travel. They get trade. They can have multinational companies and so forth. But they're not multicultural in the sense that they're that interested in the interiors of other cultures, of other people. And that's the job of the next stage, which is the green postmodern, which is world-centric in the interiors and the exteriors. And, um, and so at this stage of the game, uh, these two poles are, you know, they hate each other. They demonize each other. They think that each is deluded and, and evil even. And they pull the moderns one way or the other. Moderns tend to organize around the business people tend to be on the conservative side of the street. The academics and technology people tend to be on the liberal side of the street. And, you know, that's how we've been moving forward with, you know, all of our leaders and, and, and candidates within those 40 yard lines, if you will. It's like uh, Hillary Clinton, one foot in liberalism, one foot in modernism. Mitt Romney, the other way around, one foot in conservatism, one foot in modernism. And that's really true of virtually everybody. Uh, you know, you can, uh, if you think about the original Republican nominees, you know, there's Jeb Bush and Kasich and Rubio and Fiorina, and then you have Rand Paul, and he was a little bit on the far end of the sort of libertarian small government side of the street. Ted Cruz, you know, he was the socially conservative bomb thrower. Chris Christie, he was going to be the tough guy bully. You know, there was all these characters set up, but they were still in the 40-yard lines. <laughs> And then there's Trump. And Trump comes from, at least in these important lines, he comes from this stage of development that is prior to traditionalism. And it's what we call the egocentric. We say egocentric, ethnocentric, world-centric in the interiors, and, and ego, or ethnocentric in the uh, in, uh, exteriors. And then, you know, traditionalists are both, or I'm sorry, postmodernists are both. But egocentric is basically just all about the person. You know, I, I've often quoted the, um, uh, you know, we, we, when you think about these earlier stages of development in red culture, uh, this was good. It was what you did. You looked after yourself and, you know, you got with other people as it was uh, appropriate for your safety but bottom line is you're on your own. And I, I, I quote a Bedouin phrase. The Bedouins were the nomads that were in Saudi Arabia before oil was struck. And, and they were in a, you know, sort of still on the power God kind of nomadic existence, very still merged with nature in, in, in important ways. And their slogan is, I, my brother, and my cousin against the stranger. I and my brother against my cousin. I against my brother. So at that stage, when you're in, at that level of development, if you're not out there slugging in one way or the other, or at least aligning with people who are going to slug for you, and you know, gangs and you know, clans and so forth, 
then you're not doing your job. You're, you, you know, winning is great. Uh, you know, ideas and facts, uh, they start, they're fuzzy. You know, this, we talk about living in a post-truth world. This is actually, developmentally speaking, a pre-truth world. This is the world that exists before a lot of facts. At that stage of development, you don't need a lot of facts. You need to know where the enemy is. You need to wear, know where the buffalo are. You need to know if the creek's dry. You need to know things like that. And as you get into these higher, more complex red cultures, then, you know, it's, um, it's basically palace intrigue. It's loyalty and who's betraying who and, 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 and looking good and big daddy. And, and you want to be more feared than respected. And that is um, Donald Trump. You know, if you read Fire and Fury, this new book about the backstage at the White House, um, and I do think it's comfort food for liberals, actually. I think you could spin that story a number of ways, and this guy spun it for maximum effect. But as most people who know the situation said, it's true enough that, you know, you think you were in the court of Louis XV. I mean, it's just everybody's behind the curtains. And, but that is that's, that stage of development because we haven't gotten modern enough yet where we have a, like a constitution or a set of rules or laws or checks and balances. Uh, before checks and balances, it was Big Daddy, basically. There could be a woman, but it still was this uh, person whose word was law. And, um, and you just kind of can make it up as you go along. And this is, um, you know, this, uh, in, in some ways, I, I, I liked, um, whose column was it uh, in the New York Times? Uh, Frank Bruni. He talked about how Trump is the most honest president we've ever had. I mean, in a certain way. He, he also tells uh, five lies a day, according to the New York Times, very well documented. Uh, and he's a, you know, just a classic bullshitter, you know, which is just, you just say what you need to you say need to in this moment to get to the next and who cares what you said. And it's, you're a shark, you're living in real time and you're swimming in real time. And, uh, and you know, that's Trump. And there's something that is um, bracing about his lack of any shame about it. You know, um, it's, uh, or guilt. And that's, uh, that's uh, you know, uh, it, 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 it has its own power. It's one of the things that I've realized about Trump and about Trumpism and, and redness is that it's more powerful than I gave it credit for in our modern world. And, you know, just the sort of chaotic nature of evolution with its ebbs and flows and little eddies and, and black swans, that you can get a blast of red uh, emerge that, you know, you think came out of left field. That's certainly what the other 16 out of 17 Republican nominees thought. And, uh, you know, I do think that there's a possibility that it works with other people who are red. I think Trump could have, I, I, I'm not 
all that worried about him insulting other leaders in, in, in North Korea and so forth. Um, I don't think they're going to attack back because of an insult. Um, you don't want to insult um, a, a, the a holy warrior's God, but these guys live in palaces. That, you know, I've always made that distinction that you, know, you worry about the ones who live in the caves, not the ones who live in a palace. Uh, they don't want to die either. And this mutually assured destruction, I think, is... is so there, there may be something that is actually uh, fruitful there. Uh, I, I think it remains to be seen. But, um, you know, in, in sort of placing Donald Trump in some integral categories, red is, I think, where we go first. The, another thing that uh, we talked about, and I just want to uh, illuminate a little more, is that uh, he, Trump may also have uh, certain personality <laughs> disorders in addition to just plain old uh, vanilla red. Um, I read an article, I, I mentioned it at a, a couple months ago, uh, in Atlantic Magazine about people who are working with kids who have callous and lack of empathy disorder. And it's, uh, you know, it's on a, a spectrum of disorders that uh, where the extremes are, they really enjoy cruelty and really enjoy causing pain. And they really do enjoy that. And, uh, you know, the lesser extreme versions of it just have people who don't notice when they're hurting other people. Uh, they don't care. They don't have the antenna for, you know, the empathy that is, re that is online for most of us, almost all of us. I mean, we may all know people who don't have it, but now we all know somebody who doesn't, and this is Trump, and he's just sort of a classic example of a person with this disorder. And, and I, I read something that I thought was interesting, and I thought I'd share it with you, that uh, those of you who have had, you know, philosophy courses or courses in ethics or so forth or have read about this sort of thing may know the classic thought experiment called the trolley problem. And, uh, and this is a thought experiment in ethics. And here's how it goes. There's a runaway trolley train barreling down, the, down. Railway barreling down the railway tracks. I'll start over. There's a runaway trolley barreling down the railway tracks. Ahead on the tracks, there are five people tied up and unable to move. The trolley is headed straight for them. You are standing some, some distance off in the train yard next to a lever. If you pull this lever, the trolley will switch to a different set of tracks. However, you notice that there's one person tied up on the side track. So you have two options. You can do nothing, and the trolley's on its way to killing the five people, and it's going to kill them. Or you can pull the lever and have the trolley go off to the sidetrack where it will only kill one person. So what do you do? And um, the answer, <laughs> there's different answers, actually, but the answer that most people agree with is that you pull the lever and, and you you know, you know, four people get to live who wouldn't have got to live before. And, um, and the ball was already in motion and you did the best you could. Now there's a variation on the trolley problem. And here's how the variation goes. It says, as before, 
The trolley is hurtling down the track towards five people. You, this time now, you're on a bridge under which the train will pass. And you could stop it by putting something very heavy in front of the train. Now, as it happens, there's a very fat man standing next to you on the bridge. And your only way to stop the trolley is to push him over the bridge and onto the track, killing him, one person, to save five. Should you push him over? And the answer, again, you could have different answers, uh, but the answer is that you don't push him over because that's an active act and the ball was rolling and uh, you, you just can't grab this guy out of nowhere and throw him onto the train tracks. Except for people with callous and uh, lack of empathy disorder, they throw the fat guy over. And there's a, a, a really interesting, I'll see if I can find it and post it, but there's a really interesting YouTube where they, they talked about this study that they did with people with this problem, uh, often attended by a small amygdala in the brain, which is this sort of fear center. And, you know, these people just don't respond in the same way to uh, other human beings. And they are also children of God. And one of the things I loved about this article in The Atlantic is they talked about some of the treatments that they have for these kids that are working. And uh, the, 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 the bottom line of the treatments is punishments don't work. Rewards do. And boy, that tells you a lot about Trump, too. Uh, it really helped me to see how he's always going after the rewards, which in his case are ratings, you know, attention basically. And that's, you know, think of children and teenagers, you know, they want attention. That's that look at me, who you looking at kind of thing that is always going on with red that makes everybody crazy. And, and that is, um, you know, it, it's often attended by lots of bling, uh, babes, uh, uh, you know, and you look at his house, his Mar-a-Lago, his palaces that he's built himself, the interior of his airplane, for God's sake. I think Air Force, Force One is a lot more um, uh, understated. Uh, but, um, you know, that's, that's what you got. And so, uh, you know, Trump doesn't mind the government shutdown. It actually is exciting to him because he's in the arena. You know, he, um, he, uh, he, he doesn't lack self-awareness about this. Uh, there was a, 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 an interview I heard, uh, actually it's been publicized quite a bit in these last days, where he's criticizing Obama for letting the government shut down and how the president's in charge and it has, should be the president who gets the blame and so forth. And, uh, and he's talking about... Um, that um, with the government shutdown, that it's, um, what was I going to say? Is it the one where he was saying that the responsibility is basically goes right? Yeah. To oh, the yes, yes, yes. It's a responsibility of the president. But he also said, you got to get in there as, as a negotiator and you have to be nice and then you have to get angry and then you have to go wild. And that's what he does. And that's what, uh, you know, basically Big Daddy, Daddy does. He does. just keeps everybody off base and, 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 and off center. And every eye has to stay on him. 
So as long as people are talking about him and the currency for Trump is attention um, and looking good, then, uh, you know, he doesn't, the other stuff doesn't, it's not only that he doesn't care, it doesn't register. It's not as important to him as it is to the rest of us. So, um, you know, that's what we got here. And, um, you know, there, there's been um, times when I was like, you know, I was for Hillary and, you know, I had a first woman president party on November 7th where we were all going to celebrate her election. But there was always a part of me who was like, boy, I'd love to run this. Talk, talk about a thought experiment. You know, I'd love to run this thought experiment where Trump gets elected. We actually see what happens when, you know, we have a guy like Trump in charge. And, <laughs> you know, be careful what you wish for. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's like the, um, the experiment has escaped the laboratory. And so here we are in the middle of it. And, um, you know, there was never, uh, you know, the hope I held out was that he would be, you know, able to embrace this broad actual agreement. We, you know, we agree on DACA, what is it, 80% of people want to deal with DACA and not throw them out. And there's a lot of basic agreements on infrastructures and so forth uh, that we could do. But um, he he so far is just running this hard conservative line and playing to his base. And, um, and you know, I, I don't know what his strategy is. He clearly gets it, but he's not going to win a re-election if that's what he wants. And maybe he doesn't, but he's not going to do it with a 35 to 40 to 42% approval rating. Uh, of course, I said he wasn't going to win the first time. So this guy is, you know, sort of something new here. And like I said, I had hope. I think it could actually change in 2000. Um, well, we have this election coming up, the midterms in 2018. It looks like the Democrats will win the House at least, if not the, both the House and Senate. And then he could be the great unifier after that. I don't know. Uh, if he wants to be a winner, that's what he'll do. If he wants to be a fighter, he probably won't. And he'll go down and defeat. So uh, a year out, uh, we don't know for sure right now. But I will say that um, in terms of the conservative policies, you know, I'm a liberal. I, I, I don't necessarily want bigger government, but I want more and more people taken care of. I want there to be, you know, more opportunities for people. I want multiculturalism. Um, uh, you know, I, I get the piece of the truth that nationalists and even ethnocentric people have about preserving culture as, you know, things change. I get all of that. And so I'm not as upset as a lot of my liberal friends are about the substance of Donald Trump's first year. Um, you know, conservatives do, they are here. They are part of the system. There's, you know, 33% of them are hardcore, and they get to win sometimes. And um, I do think that one of the, the big lessons of this uh, election was that those people aren't going to be left behind as we modernists and postmodernists march forward into, a, you know, a global culture, that they're not going to go easily. And so we have to take them into account. And, um, 
and I don't have, you know, uh, you know, big, uh, as I said, I don't have big, as big a worries about this as a lot of my liberal friends do. And I do want to just um, end here with a comment from Breitbart. Breitbart's comment section is very interesting. Um, and it's, and I've been reading it for a long time. And it's interesting to see how it's changed. Breitbart is Steve Bannon's site, and it's, you know, very much the nationalist, um, anti-immigrant um, website and so forth. And what I've noticed is that the Breitbart comment section uh, has become a lot more thoughtful since Trump has been elected. There's still a lot of flamethrowers and bomb throwers in there, but it used to be kind of all that. When it was Obama was president and they were in the opposition, they really knew how to do opposition, and it was, you know, ugly. But now they're trying to sort their way through this MAGA, this Make America Great agenda. And I saw a couple of comments that I, I copied, and I'll read to them. I'll read them because I think they help us to see how our you know, nationalistic, ethnocentric, religious brethren and cistern um, think. So here's one. He writes, I'll tell you the truth. I don't give a shit about Afghanistan. I pray they'll find their way, but that's between them and God. I don't even want their oil. We have plenty of oil here. Electric, here's another one. Electric cars, green, all of that stuff, fine. But let's do it our way. Let's do it the American way. The rest of the world wants to get together in Paris? Fine, let them. What we want to do is keep focus on the MAGA agenda, make America great again. Stock market soaring, unemployment down, overseas employers returning to the U.S., consumer confidence at an all-time high, burdensome regulations slashed, ISIS defeated, conservative judges, that should be the focus. So, these people are activated by Trump. Uh, they may be amber, and most of them are. And, and you know, again, probability cause they got a lot of red in them. They got some modernism. They got postmodernism. But they are, um, they're galvanized by this guy who is such a beautiful enemy of their enemy, which is this globalist multicultural uh, thing that they think is leading us into oblivion. So they get to be here. And I think for me, the big lesson of Trump's first year is we all got to fight. You know, there's red in all of us. And we all got to get in the game in a way that feels right and moves the ball. And we can fight like hell and be ruthless and fierce. But what we don't get to do if we're a serious integral practitioner, at least what we work on, is we don't get to hate them.